Hello, welcome to NHSR podcast number nine. It is the 24th of February 2022. We are NHSR. So I've started saying what NHSR is because people have been finding this without knowing what we are. So we are a community of people. We like to use open source methodologies to do data science, particularly R, but we are very friendly towards other languages as well, such as Python. As you will hear in previous episodes, we had the uh, the NHS PyCon team on quite recently. And the other thing that we promote very much is not only the use of open source tools, but also sharing the analytical work in those tools through code. So today we have some guests from Great Ormond Street Hospital. So I'll just get them to introduce themselves first. So Lydia first, please. Hi, I'm Lydia. I'm a data scientist in the digital research environment at Great Ormond Street Hospital, working mostly on operational projects and statistical health for clinicians. And Will, please. Hi, I'm Will Bryant. I'm the senior data scientist in the digital research environment team. Um, and I do a lot of work on standardizing our code and uh, also operational projects. Doing that has made me remember that I haven't introduced myself. So my name is Chris Beely. I'm a data scientist. I work in Nottingham Health NHS Trust, and I'm also the co-chair of the NHSR Technical Advisory Group. Right, so let's kick off. So question number one is, what is the history of the team and what are you trying to do in the team? Okay, so the team was developed alongside a, a big strategy within GOSH around modernization, digitization, and then the leveraging data within the trust for advanced analytics and improving patient care. So part of this also was procurement of an electronic patient record system, EPIC, for those who, who know of these things within the trust. And what was realized though fairly early on when, when this was in procurement was that there wasn't a, an advanced analytics platform alongside the, um, the EPR system. Um, and we needed to, we needed to procure that as well. Um, so what we got was an advanced, a tool for advanced research. It's a secure online environment um, called Aridia DRE, supplied by Aridia. And it's essentially what you might call in modern terms, a, a trusted research environment. And that allowed us to create a governance structure to make research more straightforward from data. Other parts of what we do at a high level are that we spend a lot of time extracting data from hospital systems, both the um, both the EPR system and our legacy uh, data stores. And we're also very keen on standardizing data models for, for sharing data and also fair principles. So findability, accessibility, interoperability, and reusability. Um, so all of that amounts to what we're trying to do, turning our hospital from a hospital that does research into a research hospital. Yeah, so we, we grew fairly slowly at the beginning. There were just, uh, well, the team was created to um, support research projects which wanted to use the platform, but also wanted to use the data. Um, so historically, data from, from within the trust was, was got by knowing who it was who owned the database or knowing someone who had already extracted the database or having already put the data into, say, an Excel spreadsheet um, previously when, when seeing patients. Um, but so what we did was focus on data engineering to create pipelines. So extract, transform, load pipelines, ETL, to make it very straightforward. The patients, uh, sorry, the researchers come to us and we then run scripts and run a pipeline to extract data directly for them in a very short timescale. So we started at the beginning, there were Four of us, four full-time people in the team, I think, at the beginning, about four years ago, we did a lot of research support. So we've supported now over 240 projects uh, in various capacities. 
we the data we now have covers about 600,000 patients over about 20 years and there are upwards of 500 million data items available so moving forwards in the team once we had uh, got settled into the trust was looking at how to expand what we were doing and start leveraging showing the large data sets um, that we had available the the tradition of using r was really from the academic side so gosh is partnered with the institute of child health which is part of ucl so very a, a lot of academics and a lot of people work across both institutions and they use r a lot but one of the key things when we were looking at developing in-house tools was how to make code reusable and how to recycle it and also how to how to make sure that when we're validating it it's it's straightforward as possible. And so one of the key reasons I chose R as opposed to Python when we were doing this was because of Drake, um, which is a package which enables you to do a make-like development uh, whereby you create a set of instructions that, that are basically R functions. You run each function and then you get some outputs from it and you can basically lock in analytics using that. So you can do, you can run a a pipeline and you get an, an, an output from a particular function and if that function doesn't change and if the source of the data doesn't change then you never need to you don't need to rerun the function and that's super important when you're say extracting text from a thousand documents and it takes absolutely ages for each one so we did a lot of work on kind of operational projects Lydia's going to talk about one actually trying to make use of this functionality and also to just show what's possible in the trust We've had some really good engagement where previously people had been uncertain what we even did and, and many people didn't know who we are in the trust. Now we get a lot of people coming to us to, to ask about how to get access to data, how to collaborate across, you know, within the trust and externally to the trust as well. So the, the next stage, I think what we're really doing in our remit is the remit's increasing, the team's uh, increasing in size. Apart from all those other things we're doing, we're pulling in more, more data from different sources and we're going to explore the deployment of, of open tools and pipelines for, um, for processing data and then you know, providing it back or doing machine learning or AI to, to get you know, better insights in the data. And also we're looking at increasing our data standardization, uh, like mapping into OMOP and, and using Fire. So in terms of everyone will be really interested in this, my team, we were talking about this a little bit at the NHSR, NHS, NHS PyCom uh, thing yesterday, in terms of reproducible pipelines and data and all that kind of thing. And it's it's our sort of constant obsession really at the moment. So just in terms of your team, so are you doing, the, are you saying that you're doing the SQL data engineering as well, or is that being done separately and you're kind of putting this Drake type functionality on top? Well, so uh, the... The way that it's working at the moment is we have direct access to the, the databases. So the way it works in the team is we have a number of data engineers. So the first, the senior data engineer initially was a guy called John Booth, a very talented guy. And he, he did a huge amount of work on SQL extraction from the legacy databases that we had and the EPR and developing a, a harmonized model for extraction. And then on top of that, um, we have a Python library that turns that into a much more straightforward thing. So you can, we have methods around, you know, getting particular data, um, you know, particular data types. And I think uh, I'll, I'll leave Lydia actually to talk through the, the standard data extraction, which is a, 
a layer of abstraction above that to make it even more simple. But yeah, we, we basically do the pipeline right from the, the databases through into providing data sets in, a, in our standard format. Yeah, so talk us through, don't be afraid to be technical. It's, uh, the audience will lap it up, I'm sure. Just, just talk us through it in detail. Yeah, so um, specifically the data engineers, they've done like a fantastic amount of work on our ETL processes. Um, I think one of the one of the biggest, more recent developments that they've done, which has really like pushed us forward, is they've developed a, a thing called a standard data extraction. So with the libraries that they've created, they've got common routines in there, which go into the back end of the databases or the, you know, the warehouses using SQL routines, get the information that they want, um, extract it, make it, you know, in the nice structured format, which makes my job, which is further down the line, um, a lot easier. And then they put it into a, a format that we can use it. So the uh, standard data extraction that they've created is essentially like this form that we can give to researchers or we can fill them out with them, which has, for example, the common routines for hospital admissions, your lab tests, your diagnoses, procedures, absolutely well, it's a library that is continuously being like added to. And that's expressed in SQL. The the workings of it, yeah. It yeah. reads, uh, yeah, it creates these tables, which they can, we can extract out. So, yeah, so I'm asking all this stuff because we have all these exact problems. I'm So obviously you're on the podcast and I'm sure the audience are interested to hear it. But to be honest, I'm also cheating a bit by asking you for my own purposes. Basically, the problem that we have is that we have a slightly sort of sticky interface between the SQL and the R. And so we're trying to like come up with a way of kind of getting the stuff that is being done on the SQL side and having it well documented and well pipelined and all that kind of stuff nicely through to R. And it sounds like you've done that really well and we haven't basically. It's a really cool like setup we have and it's definitely like developed over time. So I've only been here, what, 18 months, but it's like I can see the massive gains that the magicians of the data engineers and everyone else in the team have really like done. So our pipeline for how this works is um, we have a, a, a library that the data engineers have created for common SQL routines. So we have, uh, these are calls for like hospital admissions, bed stays, lab tests, et cetera. Like it's, the library is continuously added to and it uh, has like a wealth of information. So we have tar Python calls within our targets pipeline in R which can do the extraction for us and output them as data frames, which are readily accessible to then do all of your wrangling, all of your visualizations and all of your post-processing from that. Again, just highlighting how useful targets is, it means that you don't have to rerun the extraction each time if you've noticed a label is wrong in your visualization target. It will just run the dependency on your visualization one. So you're not doing, like Will said, the streams of data, like collating the data and extracting the data out from something that would take a very long time. So this standard data extraction, because we are a small and growing team, like what Will said again, we all kind of like dabble in little bits. So I'm like, I don't do data extraction on a daily basis, but because they've created this form, which like makes the whole process a lot easier and makes it more straightforward, it means that I can onboard a project using this form with uh, the clinicians. We can go through the data extraction. It's already in an R pipeline. And then I can do the data analysis so it's made it really easy to get out exploratory data analytics for these clinicians from the get-go. So then if they do want more niche requirements or, you know, you know, they want more data or something that is maybe more specific, they can then go back to the data engineers and we can, we can like dabble around the team to make the project as successful as possible. 
Yeah, I think so. One of the key things that's been a massive boon for this is the definition of the cohorts as well. So that it's always been a challenge to to say, well, who is it you actually want, and you know what time periods you want the data for, and things like that. And we've, oh, I say we. So again, John, and then um, recently the, the data engineers in the team, Daniel and, and Mo, have developed this this code whereby within this. Uh, it's, a, it's an Excel spreadsheet, or I know it's a CSV, isn't it? You can just, in a line, say, specify the diagnoses and speci or specify the procedures or specify the specialty of the patients you want, and then set some start dates and end dates. And the selection of patients, like start dates and end dates, can be different to the expanse of the data. So you could have all patients who were in the hospital five years ago and all their data, you know, across their, the entire history of the of the data that we have, and you can do more complex things around combining. You know, they must have had this procedure and this procedure, or that procedure. You know, they have to have had this diagnosis and either this diagnosis or this diagnosis, but not both, or, or whatever it is. So you can have this you can build this arbitrary thing. It does get more complex and we you do still need to have a kind of data engineer or, or one of us in that process because if it gets too complex then the standardization you know has this limit to how complex it can be uh, but it it's part of this rule that you can basically cover 80 percent of problems you know with 20 percent of the work uh, and you know and and every project we can get a long way with this like really quickly you know we can turn around where previously it might have taken a month or six weeks of exploration with SQL to extract a few bits of data. Now you can turn it around in an hour. You know, you set out this form, you run the R, which runs the Python library, which, you know, runs the SQL. And it, it, it's a little bit hodgepodge, you know, it, it's like you'll have SQL and then you, you do some sort of inserting things. You see, I, I can't remember exactly how it works, but it, basically you're running blocks of explicit SQL in Python. It's not like a it's not one of those sophisticated Python SQL, like high level interfaces It is running actual kind of blocks of SQL. But yeah, and it, and it has taken a long time to develop, you know, it's been four years. So it's not it wasn't a straightforward, quick thing. And it's always growing. So, you know, we, we have these challenges around the, you know, technical debt as well. But the amount of time we've saved, which is often quite difficult to quantify and to, to show to people is massive. You know, I mean, we, we've talked about, you know, one one project was saying that they saved like 100 hours of clinicians time sitting down, manually reading blood results, where, you know, we can just extract the whole lot and give it to them, you know, anything they want in in moments, you know, minutes or hours rather than days or weeks. I mean, it's all sticky tape and, and string, isn't it? I mean, we had the COVID dashboard people on here some time back, and obviously the work they've done is absolutely amazing. But there are annoying fiddly manual steps that are nothing that, that are not their fault. It's just because that the data from Scotland, you know, whatever it is, it's just it's almost a problem of sort of human beings reluctance to all do the same thing at the same time, isn't it? Rather than being a sort of technological problem, really. Yeah. So how our like extraction processes have been developed is like you can if you want, for example, a hospital admission set, you'll have like start date time and date time relating to the admission. Um, it doesn't matter what your cohort is to define it. It'll always be that structure. Um, and then everything obviously is linked together by like uh, your patient ID. So it just makes it a lot easier to link data together. So again, you're getting rid of that manual like debt 
which otherwise would be looking into the electronic patient record system from the various different tabs, data is everywhere. But if everything can link to each other from the outputs of the extraction, then it, yeah, the benefits of using everything in a more like codable and generalizable way is really good. It would be fantastic for us if every hospital had the same, um, you know, same scheme, same, same stru- structures for that. And then we could all <laughs> use the same um, like methods of analyzing stuff. But in terms of like GLOSS data in itself, um, it means the tools that we've developed, you can shoot it at a cohort for the cardiology department, for example, or the gastroenterology, uh, you know, patients who visited the hospital five years ago, patients who had a particular scan, and whatever these SQL calls you're calling, it will follow the same structure. So again, we, we are able to use like generalizable code to develop our visualizations and stuff that we're giving to researchers. I mean, a big problem that we have, and I imagine it's probably the same elsewhere, is linking patients is not too difficult, although there are people in my team who would be shouting at the podcast right now <laughs> if they heard me say that. It can be challenging, but it's not impossible. But the thing that we find really difficult is all the organizational hierarchy. That's what we find really difficult. So if you want to look at a particular clinical area. Yeah, so I think the um, we, we have this challenge as well. So what we can get out is that we have essentially episodes of care which we have good data on and they link patients to specialties through their doctors. And we also, but a lot of what we do around the the sort of patient pathways and what's going on with them is implicit in the data. It's something that we don't have. It, yeah, it's something that we don't have um, explicitly. So RTTs or other organizational units, directorates and things like that. So yeah, it's still a challenge for us. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I was hoping you were going to give me some amazing, like, oh, we solved that problem. You just press a few <laughs> buttons over here and it's all done, but obviously not. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. Right. We've, we've, we've dug into the sort of technical aspect. So any particular projects that you think that have had a big impact? So uh, one particular project that we've been working on is a project with the working in collaboration with the cardiac department. So they have their weekly morbidity and mortality meetings, so their m M&M meetings. However, the data that is presented, it takes a long time for the analysts to uh, like collate the data and to create the presentation. Uh, everything's done very manually. It involves going into the electronic patient record system on a daily basis, finding the patients that are in the ward, and then constantly rereading for any updates on the doctor's notes. So the motivation for a project was if we can automate the data extraction, then it'd like reduce the, the manual requirement and it will save them time. And also if everything's in a codable and generalizable format, we can hopefully develop like advanced analytics or create more in, like informative visualizations for them to like aid the discussions of the patients that are included in these meetings. So we want to go down like the like trying to automate the extraction. And as where they were manually reading doctor's notes, the first step was kind of going into, into Epic and trying to see if we could find the doctor's notes, which is unstructured free text data, see if we could find it in a more structured format. And yeah, I'm sure you agree, structured format is a lot better to analyze or a lot easier in the first instances anyway. And I managed to do that for the features of interest in about 60% of cases. So that was great. So we're looking at the the different extraction calls to get hospital admissions, you know, the features of interest, which were in various like flow sheet rows and diagnoses, procedures, etc. So I was able to do that. So 
we've got the data and then it's presenting the information, which was originally in a, in a PowerPoint presentation. So we decided to develop a, a dashboard using our Shiny, so a Shiny app. And the way it's developed, we actually were able to automate the extraction with only changes in a few commands. So like I said, this presentation is done on a weekly basis. All I need to do is change the end date, rerun the target's pipeline. It will trickle through. It takes a little bit of time because obviously we're like extracting data on a weekly basis. And then because everything's in targets, the relative dependencies will refresh. You can run the Shiny app and your new data is presented. Yeah, so it's for, it's the, the positive of this project is that it's estimated to save around 11 hours of uh, analyst time. And um, because we have automated it, however, there are like there were some like continued challenges. So, like I said, sixty percent of the features I found in like a structured format, easy to wrangle. Um, I can do various like time to admission. I can do, you know, amount of blood loss per weight of patient, etc. We can do all of that in a numerical way. But some of the features are still in an unstructured and pretext um, kind of like manner. So I have developed some like text mining or, you know, pattern matching to try and throw up the features of interest. However, that does lead to conversation about like data entry and data quality. So if, you know, there's yeah typos, they decide to code something in a slightly different way. And I'm not aware of that. I've made the tool as robust as possible, but it can also, that's a potential fall from the, from the app. I, yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's been a fantastic thing that, you know, Lydia's now presented probably to eight or 10 different, uh, you know, uh, specialties and various people in the trust. And it always, what one of the key things that it does is it just shows the data. It just finds the data and then shows it. And you have a, a sort of timeline of, of patients and people are just are kind of astonished when they've been used to having like a, a single number, you know, when was the last case of compl complication X? Instead, you have the last 10 cases and they're kind of historic. You can see their stays and their other complications and what, what they were in for. You know, and it, it's just there and it, it asks, it produces so many questions and people come back to us and say, we want to do this. You know, how, how do you get those data? How do you combine them? And it's just, I mean, it, it's an excellent piece of work and it's done that. And also another great thing is that it does, it, it induces those questions around data quality and data entry. And, um, you know, even like, why is this not in a structured form? You know, why is CPR so difficult? You know, it's not a procedure. It's not a diagnosis. It's a note of, you know, CPR or some you know, variant of how you spell that. Because uh, apparently Lydia's told me that it's spelled in many different ways. You'd think it, it would be self-evident. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. And, you know, one of the great things about R is that all of these tools you know, we, we have challenges around around doing these things, but all of the tools are available. It's not it's not the challenge in implementing them. It's the challenge in working out the best way to use them, which is the best, you know, the best challenge. That is the difficulty that's insurmountable until you work on it um, because of the specific cases. It, can, it feeds back into our like development as well. So the thing. So, for example, this patient history timeline part that I've done is quite easy to do is just a plotly so all I'm doing is linking data together from the extraction so I've got like Will said I've got the admissions ward stays procedures 
uh, complication and they're all they're all layered on my plot if you can kind of if I take you through this visualization um they're all on top of each other with like informative tool tips so it's putting everything together whereas otherwise it'd be in various different tabs on epic we're kind of just trying to provide a very clear and straightforward way of presenting all the data together so in developing that patient history plot it then goes we've then put it into our um our project templates so how we start our new projects essentially is we've developed a template in R which has some dummy extraction it has a like dummy wrangling and like visualization so that's constantly being like developed and like new things added to it and off the back of that again we're also in the process of like creating an R library based on our data so from the demographics extraction you'll get out it has age of patients so perhaps we have a function to create age groupings that you can functionalize in different ways whether you're interested in like neonates or like slightly older patients again grouping like uh, different things together like ethnicities and things like that and also functions to generate the things that are really common that um, people ask us for so especially in like exploratory data analytics like people ask for like number of distinct diagnoses that patients have had or number of admissions or discharges in a month so we can create a library or even like a template like our markdown which because we try and code uh, as generalizable as possible uh, and as usable as possible it can just trickle through and you've got some basic analytics defining your patient cohort in a small amount of time. So what we've learned from previous like specific projects like the cardiac dashboarding one, we have been able to re-feed back into our like templates and our libraries to make to kind of give like a head start on our incoming projects. Well that's the idea anyway. <laughs> yeah, I I think quite a few teams are developing stuff like that, packages to enable them. So we've got one in my or in my team. And there's another team I know of that are also developing it. It's quite a common problem, isn't it? Because you have all these generic tasks and obviously the best thing to do is, is you know, do, to, to solve them once. Yeah, it takes it back to targets as well. Like only doing something once is much better than repeating like dead code essentially. Yeah, so I was listening to the, uh, the Marcus Bohr uh, podcast. I was just gonna mention that, yeah. That's what might be this conversation think of, yeah. I had seen him talk, I think, at HET last year and these open standards. And it's it's really interesting that we're, you know, on a micro level within the team, we want to standardize what an ethnicity group is, say, or, you know, age groups are sort of important to us as well. Or, you know, the procedure codes. I mean, we haven't really dug into standardizing, harmonizing procedures and, you know, which ontologies apparently, I think it should all be SNOMED, but, you know, we're still using ICD-10 and um, OPCS4, I think it's called for, for procedures. And, you know, if we had these open APIs from various, you know, Royal Colleges, basically, who, who have this expertise to know what it is that is, is necessary, you know, for instance, I mean, he brought up growth charts when I was when I heard him previously, and it's like if we could just if we could tap into that, you know, an API, we can address that live every time. You know, it's consistent internally, but it's consistent with everyone else who's doing the same thing. You know, all other pediatric hospitals in the UK address the same API. You know, that gives you the same information to to put with your own data, and I think that that kind of the idea is great. Um, you know, there there are there are issue, big issues around it, you know. I mean, we talked a bit about the uh, the ETL 
you know, that we have done. And in fact, essentially, almost in any hospital, you'd have to redo all of that work because almost nothing is transferable from one trust to another in terms of those specific data engineering pieces. And what something that we haven't, we, we essentially created our own data model internally, which was consistent. So it runs with all of our tools, you know, whatever your cohort is. But actually, we recognize that that is a, a limitation around sharing the data and sharing analytics. So, you know, we, we now have a project to map our data into OMOP. We've continually review how easy and how feasible it is to put things into fire. Um, we've never quite managed to get something really useful going with that, but it's certainly the, the direction of travel. And, you know, we, if we're open to that and we can start feeding into these things, you know, earlier rather than later, we can have a, a valuable input. And also, you know, when we start thinking about, or we continue thinking about sharing data for, you know, for research, multi-center clinical trials, you know, registries, or, or even, you know, we're, we're thinking now about, you know, operational benchmarking, for instance, you know, you could do that through a, say, a federated approach. And we're super keen to do all that sort of thing. But one of the key prerequisites is having a consistent data model. I should add, incidentally, that uh, it's not available at the time of recording, but by the time this goes out, there will be a podcast about with Marcus and colleagues talking about the, uh, the growth charts API. Um, so do go and have a listen to that. I think the other thing that's really interesting that also reminded me of the, of the conversation we've had previously with Marcus was that the project you're describing, actually a lot of it is just showing people their own data, isn't it? That's the thing. People just want, and it's certainly my trust, what I'm told is that, that you know, the people who produce this data, it just goes into a black hole and they never see it again. And actually they don't, on the whole, want fancy analytics of it. I think the board think they want fancy analytics. What they want is they just want their own data back because they're professionals. They know what they're doing. And if you show them a decent you know, set of data, they can interpret it themselves. They don't need necessarily sort of doing myself out of a job here slightly. But that feels like step one for, for us as an industry, really, is to take data that people have produced and give it back to them in easily digestible form. And that, you know, that's a very, very common thing. My work with patient experience is the same thing, is that people, they just want, they just want the experience. That they want to understand what their patients are saying. They don't need lots of like, you know, fancy analytics on top of it because they've run that service for 20 years. So if people are saying something, they, they don't need help interpreting it. Yeah, 100%. I think also there's, there's such a wealth of information that is recorded. Getting it into a nice format and like linking it all together in like it's it's not a, it's not a crazy sophisticated plot. It's you know, I'm just layering data together. I'm just joining data frames together because we can do in code and in R. It's it's just showing them what is possible or like like it removes being overwhelmed at the amount of data that we can get for them. It just gives them like a head start or like just some simple analytics over the majority of what people ask for like to begin with is like, like I said, just counts really. It's nothing, it's yeah, nothing too sophisticated. It's just presenting their data back to them, which they already know, but it's quickly, it's clear and it's easy to understand. We have, I notice often, I mean, I think it's a good thing really. So they, they, they have sequins for collecting data. That's quite common, isn't it? You must collect this data, you must collect that data and they motivate you to collect the data, which is good. Obviously I'm all in favor of data, but I kind of wonder whether it'd be better to have sequins as well that encourage you to actually give it back or use it or, you know, rather than just, cause really you, you're being incentivized to just get the data and throw it in a skip. 
<laughs> if, you, if you watch the NHS, that seems to be pretty much what they're doing, isn't it? They collect all the data. I'm not going to name any names because I'll get in trouble. But, you know, there have been lots of big projects that I could name where they get loads of data and then they just, they just, you know, warehouse it in the literal sense of warehouse it. I put it in, put it in a big building and forget about it kind of thing. Yeah. And so one of, uh, one of the things that we're, we're super keen on. So we're, we're a research support team, um, but we have been moving into these more operational areas and there are, there are other teams within the trust who, who do that. So we have, a BI team linked to the EPR system. We have an information services team who do statutory reporting. We also have a clinical information team who are data managers for each specialty who are, who are responsible for creating these, you know, the dashboards or the reports, regular reporting. And there is very much this desire across all of these teams to, to make things more coherent. And essentially, I mean, the, the vision, um, so our, our chief research information officer, Neil Sabir, has a, a big vision around the clinical informatics as a unit within the trust. So basically bringing data together and treating it as a first-class citizen within the hospital and having that coherent structure, but also leveraging all these things that we've talked about, about around R and standardizing the data. So I think actually what what we can do is is link everything together you know if if all you're doing is creating a report to send to a, you know a statutory report then that's what you're doing if you're also thinking about how do i dashboard it how do i give it back to the the clinicians how do i you know report perhaps to registries you know to bring together multiple sites or internationally and how do i you know do research you know how do I make data available for research? If you think about what the data is going to be useful for, the operational, the research and the reporting, they're all facets of the same thing. And if you can bring the data together into a single coherent place, as it were, you know, albeit it's a magical place that's somewhere between the, the data warehouses and the, the provision data, you know, if you set up these tools for extracting the data in a standard way, you can you can really make massive inroads into those and you know the data will be the same bits of data as you say and it just you know but we are using it in multiple different ways so if we can make sure the data are common we we can use it you know in in these multiple ways and learn from each other yeah so my big question there is how do we all work together that's the thing there are all these disparate teams aren't they using different methodologies with different culture and different outlook and all that kind of thing and in my experience, they often work, they don't work in silos exactly, but they, they work, you know, because we spend a lot of time in HSR talking about cooperating between organizations, which is great, but actually in, cooperation within organizations is often not great. And it's because of differences in technology and different things, probably different podcasts, really. But that's my big question is how can we all, using different tools and a, a different approaches, how can we come together to build something you know, that's kind of mutually useful and, you know, coherent. Yeah, and that's a big challenge. And it's not one we've, uh, we've managed yet. But firstly, you have to be talking to the right people, you find the right people to talk to. But also, I think you need, you need executive buy in and you need a, a sort of vision around that. Because otherwise, you know, we can do what we're doing, and, and the other teams can do what they're doing. We can talk to each other and share our issues. But in terms of their defined processes, they have to run through these things and they, 
all have huge amounts of work to do and there's not that space you know you need essentially an investment into either people or uh you know possibly technology but i guess mostly people and planning to give people a bit of wiggle room to start moving in directions that are useful to them and we've been quite you know we've been quite privileged here that we've been given this kind of remit a very general remit at the beginning and you know focusing down on specific aspects that we can then we can commit our time to you know we've um it's kind of self-starting you know a lot of what we've done we've tried to be proactive um without and we don't have these statutory requirements on top of us to to stop that and i think we seem to have done quite well so far and i think you know we're the team is growing and the, what we're trying to do is more ambitious and we do speak with the other you know the chief data officer um, we have a director of innovation now Andrew Taylor who is advocates us um, really well and um, you know all, also the other information officers so the chief clinical information officer and and others but that that buy-in at that level is really important I think and it gives us that avenue opportunity to make those make the right connections and start thinking about bringing what we're doing more in line i, I would emphasize thinking about it at this stage um because we haven't got very far down that road yet yeah i mean i totally agree about the senior uh, thing i think that's that's crucial really um any other any other projects that you want to kind of call out we we've done quite a few so a lot of what we've done is proof of concept so we've run a number of projects within the team we did a couple on there was one i did on uh surgery scheduling uh, which used milp to look at how much we could improve our theater usage as as a proof of concept uh, if we knew exactly how long every every theater visit every um every procedure would take and it turned out when i did it retrospectively knowing all of these that you could only really get a five to ten percent improvement so th this was when we were all still talking about hospital catch-up and i think it's something that we will continue to talk about um but also we're, we're super keen on looking at hospital resourcing and optimizing that again it's we've done some work on on linking you know resourcing to patient complexity but it's it's still very early days so do tell us tell us about the future what what, what have you got in uh, planned so we've got a pretty good grip on our um, structured data within the trust what we don't have very good access to at the moment is genomics and um, we don't have a system for um, processing free text and we don't have a system for extracting images so we're hiring a data engineers at the moment who will begin looking at those and bringing those into our standard data extraction we're also looking at formalizing how we develop our, our stuff because we're doing most of our development on local machines and then we have GitLab in the trust which is useful uh, but we don't really have a a kind of a place to stand up servers at the moment which would be very useful for uh, multiple things so we're looking at <coughs> xsnap for images um, potentially deploying cogstack for, for processing documents and a number of other things so omop requires uh, vms and various other things uh, Docker is a key tool in that um, as well. In terms of what we're doing, we're going to do inc probably increasing numbers of operational projects. Also, uh, yeah, around research, we're developing our, our infrastructure. So two key things for that are looking at OMOP for, for federated data analytics. And that's that's super important for us because we have lots of rare diseases. So, we, you know, you can't do 
machine learning or sophisticated analysis on say 20 patients but if you can link up with other hospitals across the uk across europe um, across the world you can potentially power more sophisticated analysis and the other thing is to look at how you can potentially address problems of um of information governance and and ensuring that data are kept secure and one of the options around that is potentially developing synthetic data tools which we're we're exploring but we've not got very far with yet yeah tax is the big frontier i think isn't it that's what that's kind of been my impression i was going to ask about coxlack actually but yeah it sounds like you're looking at that we have a lot of data in text and no way of getting to it really yeah same here again with the cardiac i was quite happy that i was able to find 60 percent at least in structured <laughs> what i thought was, would be 100 percent in doctor's notes and free text so very very happy i was at least uh, able to find some of it i think yeah also it's quite a common thing in trust that there are these um there was a requirement to record everything in like electronic pdfs and that meant that we we ended up with going through a process of scanning thousands of pages of documents for patients all of them into images and so we we have what these so-called backscan documents which are sort of 2000 potentially or more pages long of just images that will need to be processed at some point to get the data out and there's so much rich data in there that you could potentially extract um yeah it's a it's a big ambition of ours to to do that in a coherent systematic way but yeah we're, we're not there yet i think that's a big thing that's it's not widely appreciated outside of our profession isn't it is that just having data isn't enough just say oh we've got this it needs to really be in the right place at the right time in the right format and i think pdfs are a really good example of that of like technically you can say yes we have this data but you can't really use it or extract it or find it or so therefore you know in a sense you don't really have it yeah, potentially we have these tools that can be applied to, to do this stuff. It's just a matter of finding, you know, so Cogstack is, is for proce um, document processing. It's all open source. It's, you know, in principle, you could deploy it yourself and start running it. Um, although there are obviously technical issues around it. And then there's an integration piece around accessing the, the actual documents with this funny little thing in inverted commas, which is Cogstack. And then, you you know how, but but the tools are there, the the opportunity is there. We have to define these projects, we have to resource these projects, and you can potentially you know, and there's no there's no limit to how much you can do with that if you've got the right setup and the the right approach. Yeah, it's being used in a couple of places, isn't it, Cogstack? I've done some reading. I think it's being used in Slam, for one, or maybe a couple. I mean, I would love to. I would love to have cockstuck in my trust but it's above my pay grade unfortunately but maybe one day okay cool well we'll leave it there then so thanks very much for coming on i'd just like to wrap up with my usual wrap up so i must remember to thank tom Jemmett for his editing we've had a bit of it hasn't been too disastrous this but we've had a bit of <laughs> some issues mainly caused by me so i'm sure none of them will be uh, audible all thanks to tom sterling work so if you want to find out more about nhsr community uh then visit us on the web at nhsrcommunity.com uh, if you've got any comments or questions about the podcast then uh, please email on nhs.rcommunity at nhs.net, which is a bit of a mouthful. I shall put all this in the chat. I'll put various links to our speakers uh, in the chat, Twitter profiles and GitHub profiles and whatever else they might have. So yeah, I'm sure they wouldn't mind if you uh, got in touch and asked some questions. So thanks very much, Will and Lily. It was very enjoyable having you on. Thank you for having us. And we'll see you all next time.